This is part two of the conversation we had with the Clements. In this episode, you'll be hearing a conversation about the importance of caring for kids affected by trauma and how it changes your heart, family, and views on obedience and culture. Clearly, this is an important thing for you guys. Why would it be important for the rest of the church, especially Apex, to consider and think about adoption? I mean, it has changed. It has changed my heart for Mm. the city. Mm -hmm. It has changed my heart for people who are hurting. I think it has taken me just, this is true for us, but for me too, especially. It has shown me things that, um, just brokenness that I would never have even um, imagined. Mm. And I think that's been important just for my understanding of how important the gospel is mm. and how just how important the redemption is for our stories mm. and how much um, I now long for that for my kids mm. when they're hurting or for those that I see around me who um, just come from broken, broken places. But um, I don't know. It's, it's also just been really good for our family, like um, especially our biological boys. Mm. Um, it, I mean, they have been a part of a lot of uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that's always kind of a scary part of deciding to do any of this, you know, helping other kids who have different kinds of needs. When you have, when you already have biological kids, that's one of the biggest fears, I think, is like, how will this affect my, the kids that we already have? Mm -hmm. And we, of course, had that and had those discussions. But in all honesty, like, it has helped form their view of the world in a way um, that we couldn't have just spoken to them. (laughs) Um, And it doesn't mean they don't struggle with it sometimes. They definitely, I mean, they're in it. (laughs) They're in it (laughs) with us. And um, you have, you still have to use wisdom, mm -hmm. you know, when thinking about, uh, you know, if, if you have kids in the home already, like it's not just a matter of, it's always a good thing to, take a step like this like I I think you do have to use wisdom Uh, you know the age of your kids the condition of your kids the you know whatever like I think there is a time and a place Mm -hmm. for it and I don't I never want to give the impression that like the concerns or factors in your decision making like having biological kids is uh you know means that you're being sinful by considering those Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. um You know, for example, we made some decisions around uh, the ages of the kids that we would take, Mm -hmm. you know, based on the age of our kids. Like that's something that we felt um, a conviction about. Mm -hmm. Um, So so there's uh, I'm I'm a I'm a very practical person. I'm not a just like just go, you know, what feels right kind of thing. Um, And so I I think there's definitely a level of like practicality and wisdom in in the decision making, too. Mm -hmm. I, I want to make sure people know that, yeah, but, sure. but, uh, but at the same time, fear can't be your decider. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, if fear is your decider, you won't do it. I right. mean, that's, that's I mean, really doing. one of the biggest things is just obedience. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're called to care for mm-hmm. the widows and orphans. So no matter how you do it, which it can look 
so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, We are still called to do it as believers. And so moving forward in obedience um, just became really, (laughs) really important for our families Mm -hmm. or for our family. And um, especially when it got really hard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And you kind of wonder, you know, we, um, we had some, some other kids in our home, part of our family and, and then they left and, went back with other family. That's a whole different story. Um, but part of that process after that was just seeking, you know, what does God want us to continue to do? How do we still move forward in obedience, um, in the right way, you know, in the right way that, in the right way for our family. So, if you don't mind me asking a personal question and don't no feel personal like, questions. I think all of these, Zero. Are <laughs> um, what has it been like for your two biological sons mm-hmm. to go through fostering and adopting new brothers? Mm-hmm. When we started, Jonas was like six, five. When we started, started? when we started be- as foster parents. Um, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and so he was just barely old enough to even understand the concept. And so what it was like for them at the very beginning was, uh, you know, you're talking about little brains that are just learning to differentiate letters and shapes and colors, right? And so they're hearing that we are, the way we explained it at the time is, you know, there's there's kids in this world that their, their moms and dads can't take care of them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we as a family are going to try to help take care of those kids. Um, and like that's that's what it was like for them at first is like hearing these really simple things and they're just like well okay you know like <laughs> and you know they're they're so young that like this is just normal mm-hmm. for them it, there was no you know conf- it wasn't even really all that much confusion or pushback they're so they were so young and naive that they were just like oh <laughs> that's what we do okay mm-hmm. um and then as they got older um like Melissa mentioned, we had we had one foster daughter who was with us about a year, and we uh, actually thought she was going to need to be adopted, and we were willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got to know her as a sister, um, and uh, we had another foster daughter for, for like three months. Um, so that affected them a little bit less because it was a shorter amount of time. But, um, but yeah, so that with that, like how it affected them was, you know, getting used to a sister and then seeing her go away. Um, Surprisingly better than I would have even anticipated. Mm -hmm. Um, We did, um, and it didn't happen overnight. Like sometimes that kind of stuff actually can happen almost overnight Mm -hmm. in foster care. Um, But with with her, um, we had fair warning. We knew it was coming. We were able to... um, like prepare the boys, talk to the boys about it. But I mean, they, you know, they're getting exposed to concepts that are very, very adult. Mm-hmm. Um, we do our best to explain them and we don't, we don't really hide it from them. Um, yeah. And as they've gotten older, I mean, we now have a 10 year old and an eight year old and um, our oldest was eight when our two, our third and fourth sons uh, came into the family. What's funny about them <clears throat> as you're talking, I'm thinking about, um, you know, how they react to just these little memories I have of watching our two older boys as we've gone through this. And like, I have these memories of sitting at our kitchen table, 
telling them really hard news. Um, and I won't go into detail just because they, that was, you know, pretty special. Like it was a hard time for them. Um, and they just kind of, but they were never afraid to ask us questions. Mm. Um, even so much. So like sometimes we'll all be in the room together and they just ask questions that everybody else has, but nobody wants to ask, right? <laughs> like they ask all the really um, awkward questions sometimes. And a lot of times they will ask those as we're all in the room together and not everyone is ready to hear those questions. So we'll have to say, hey, that's a really good question. Let's talk about that a little bit later. And they get that now. Yeah. Like it's really good that, they, um, that they're able to verbalize some of that. So I hope that continues for them. But yeah. um, the way the four of them are, they, I tell people in a lot of ways kind of interrupted you. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so we do. Um, in a lot of ways, they just act like brothers. Like there's a lot of fight, like there's a lot of wrestling. There's a lot of <laughs> arguing. There's a lot of like just running around and being crazy. Um, but they've also had to work at it a little bit. I mean, mm. we've had, we've had our two younger boys for, uh, be four years this spring. Mm. So you have two sets of biological brothers and so they kind of it takes time and um they definitely struggle a little bit with just learning how to do that yeah. but yeah but in reality it's 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 hard to actually parse out where the source of the struggles how much of those struggles is actually coming from the way we became a family yeah. and how much of that is just you know younger brothers older brothers mm -hmm. kind of stuff yeah. mm -hmm. um a lot of it is obviously younger older kind of stuff and a lot of the struggle, like uh, struggles that aren't related to that, um, they don't really seem to come from uh, animosity, mm -hmm. like from the older mm -hmm. brothers, like mm -hmm. having any animus. And I honestly, I think that's because they were just so young mm -hmm. that they were like, "This is what life's going to be like." Yeah. That um, that I'm sure uh, I'm sure that older biological children getting into this. They might have a little bit more of that. Like, um, uh, they might have a little bit more, um, just greater understanding of what's going on. So they might have more questions and things to work through. Um, but our boys, I don't just, I think they didn't really know any different. Um, Another part of it, too, is that we are blessed to be surrounded by a lot of other really close friends who have also walked the same similar journey, like either through fostering or adopting. So, like, uh, to our boys, it's pretty normal <laughs> to mm -hmm. have friends who their families came together in different ways and mm -hmm. everybody's kind of in the similar place. So that's been a huge blessing, like our house church specifically. Um, that's just been a huge, that's just how it's been. And so that's really, they're surrounded by families that get formed in really cool, like non-traditional ways. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, our boys regularly talk about, like, like it's not, it's not a taboo subject or like this awkward thing, to be like, well, uh, my one friend, you know, was born in this country, <laughs> uh, and this other kid was born in this country, and yeah. this kid um, had another set of parents mm -hmm. um, who weren't able to take care of them, yeah. uh, and now he has his, 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 his mom and dad, you know, his, you know. 
you know, one term that's used sometimes is forever family, but mm-hmm. honestly, you see that a lot more in the pamphlets. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that we've really used that term because to you know to our to our boys, we're mom and dad. I mean, we're just we're mom and dad. They struggle actually sometimes to, you know, what exactly do I call those other people that came first mm-hmm. that our boys heart don't really even really remember very well. Um, but they'll say like my first mom, first dad or something like that. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, our boys in general, like all this stuff is just so normal and they just talk about it. Like it's <laughs> like, like that's normal. And for me growing up, that wasn't normal. Mm. Like I didn't know anyone that was adopted. And, and if, if I did, I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that matter, that's actually probably an important point. Um, like I'm, I'm 38 and I feel like for people, you know, in that gener- maybe Generation X on and younger, like it's uh, adoption, we've kind of grown up and seen adoption become more normalized and more and less of a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like my parents' generation and before, like you legit didn't talk about it a lot of times. You know, you hear those stories of like kids not knowing they were adopted and finding out as adults and how hard it is on them. Um, not always, but, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of stories like that. And that's not how it goes anymore, um, at least for the, all the circles we've been in. Like adoption, you know, even if you're adopted as an infant, like you... you you, you clue kids into their story much earlier. Like you let them understand those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, it might be very obvious to you because you know you you look different than your biological family or than your than your adopted family. Um, but you know, some kids don't look that different. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's something we'll probably grow up with because our boys look like they could be our boys. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, biologically. Biologically, mm-hmm. yeah. They look like they're, they could be our blood, I should say. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that's not the way it is with all families. But thankfully, and I understand why this change has happened, like adoption has become more normal yeah. uh, and more talked about. What really encouraged me about that, um, what you guys just shared, was that you guys parent in a way that allows for these open conversations and dialogues. Um, I feel like that's something that's happening more and more. Mm. But what an awesome opportunity for your boys to process real life and not to, you know, put a cloak over it or try to minimize it, but let it be what it is. Um, The phrase that kind of comes to mind is open brokenness. Mm. Um, Just we're broken. Let's be open about it. Mm. You know, because if you if you have that open brokenness, that's where the gospel comes in and fills in the cracks and makes it whole again. Yeah. And um, I, have a, I have a friend of mine who was adopted and did not find out until his 18th birthday. Hmm. And it crushed his identity. Yeah. It crushed it. And had he known, he said, he's like, I, I think I could have processed mm-hmm. over the course of life, but now I'm just beginning to relearn. And I understand every family has to make that decision sure. for what's best for them. Yeah. And there's other kids that don't necessarily go through that mm-hmm. experience. But I think that the the piece of wisdom that you guys offer of just, yeah, yeah, has questions. You know, and sometimes it needs to be in the appropriate context where we can <laughs> dive into it as family. I know my cousin, I'm not my cousin, my nephew is getting to the age where he's just asking questions nonstop. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he asked one the other day and it was like, no, hold in, this is dinner. <laughs> <Good question. laughs> Let's hold on to that for a later date. Mm-hmm. 
to, to get back to your question about like, what do I want? What would I have Apex know, or what would right. I like to say to Apex? Um, I mean, Melissa mentioned that you know there's a level of just obedience mm. um, when it comes to you know just a blatant command that you know we're to, to care for widows and orphans and 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 those who need protected in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and or or I should say, however, you know there are so many different ways that that can be done, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but uh, but it is something where there is a level of of obedience. What I really, what I just I want people to understand about um, fostering, adopting, everything in between, um, you know, taking care of these kids is I have a real hard time if someone says they're pro-life and they're vocal about it and they aren't involved in some way mm-hmm. um, in taking care of kids that need to be taken care of mm-hmm. because you can't. I just can't handle <laughs> someone who, who who is adamant about those kinds of things and usually uses it as a political football mm. um, and then not be actively involved because these are the kids. Mm-hmm. These are the kids that uh, their parents could have, should have, quote unquote, um, been tempted to not have these children. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the kids mm-hmm. that you say you want to be born, mm-hmm. um, so take care of them. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, that's a real important thing to me. Um, and then when it comes to the church, um, the church is the ones who should be taking care of these kids. Mm-hmm. Like if, you, if it makes you feel bad, and I mean that in somewhat of a dismissive way. Pity? <laughs> But if you if you hear about these stories in the news about terrible things that happen in the foster care system or some type of you know adoption situation or kinship care or trafficking, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you hear these things and they, they make you feel bad and you're like, ah, oh, what terrible people, you know, how can they let people, you know, get kids, you know, <laughs> and when they do that kind of stuff, um, that's exactly why the church is supposed to be the church mm. should be doing this. Mm. Um, the church used to do this. You used mm. to not need these social agencies. Mm. Yeah, but that, that gets into societal breakdown in general. But, um, Did you want to go there? Yeah. But, like, um, you know, one thing that I'll hear from, from people in the church, just capital C church, is, you know, the foster system is broken. Or even uh, the adoptive system is broken. You know, once you get into it, you know, international adoption or domestic, but especially international, like it'll, you know, you're like, oh, it works that way. That's terrible. Mm. Uh, you, you know, like there's corruption. You know what? Mm. Like, and in the foster care system, it lasts how long? And mm-hmm. people mm. are treated poorly, and blah blah. blah. You know, like, and it's easy to be like, I wouldn't touch that mm. with a ten foot pole. And I'm like. You better. <laughs> yeah. You better. I mean, it's going to be hard. And this kind of goes back to my concern for the church and our desire for comfort is it's supposed it's going to be hard and Jesus never said it wasn't going to be. Mm-hmm. And and we better be willing to do hard things. Mm-hmm. Um otherwise, you know, you might you might know the Lord, but 
you know, Satan's accomplished his goal in, mm-hmm. in nullifying your effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hard thing doesn't always have to be foster care or adoption or anything like that. But, uh, but, hard, but the hard thing definitely includes taking on things you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least your flesh doesn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Andrew, like, sorry, you guys are just like chock full of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a lot of time to think about this. So many applications of other stuff. No. Um, one of the things that you just shared about that, about entering into, I think so often the history of the church, especially America for the last, you know, 50, 70 years, has been to retreat from culture, mm-hmm. to retreat from systems that are broken. And I love your challenge to the church. Like, no, like we are to be the ones who enter into it and change it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's John three sixteen. Yeah. For God so loved the broken world, the broken system of the world that he entered into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a perfect example of like middle class <laughs> probably upper middle class and the, by the world standards, you know, white suburban family, right? Like, and it's, and that's a lot of us. And I know that's a lot of apex. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really easy to think, well, I can't pick up and move to India. I can't, uh, you know, I can't do some of these drastic things that some other people are doing. I have a mortgage or I have a family or, uh, or even not like, you know, I'm uh, uh, I'm a I'm a single person. I'm I'm trying to get my career going. I got stuff going on. Uh, I'm just trying to make it to the next level. You know, like we all have our reasons to not not do these things, and that's that's why one reason why I'm I'm so like yes, there are actual reasons why I, as the suburban guy with a family, can't go do some things. I can't do some things. There are some things I just can't do. I can't just leave my family and go, you know, follow a, you know, a, a, a well-meaning desire to, you know, preach the gospel in China by myself. Like I can't do that, um, or at least it doesn't seem like it. God hasn't asked me to. Um, but, but like, but that's where for me, I'm like, hey, the answer's right in front of you. I mean, it's right here, mm. and it's hard, but it's also really available. Mm. You know, this ministry is really available. It's right in front of you. There are... <laughs> it's in our home. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's in our home. But at the very least, if you haven't, if you haven't, uh, if you think you might uh, be someone who should be considering to, to, to accept that call to take kids in, it's right there. It's right there on your doorstep. And for that matter, there's whole agencies there, mm. broken agencies, but they're there to like help you along the way. And if you're part of Apex, you have, I have never heard of a church that has the type of track record we have of uh, supportive um, and not just, you know, married couples, singles, married couple, uh, people, empty nesters, a range of people across the board. We have such a resource in this church um, to support you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that not even some people you know, their reason to say no is because they don't have a system to support them, mm-hmm. um, which is understandable. It's really hard mm-hmm. to go into a difficult ministry, a very 24-7 ministry um, without support. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but it's hard to have that excuse when you're mm-hmm. part of Apex because you you have that. And for that matter, for anybody that 
might be listening to this conversation that uh, isn't part of Apex, but is part of um, uh, you know part of the church in general. Like the church, church better be supporting these people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're doing you know they're they're doing a much needed ministry, and some for some folks, you may have legitimate reasons why you can't take kids in. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't take an active role in people in your house church, people in your church, people in another church that you know of, like actively taking part in um, caring for those kids. Um, like that's also a very important thing to do because, you know, I know of, you know, single people who have taken in kids and it's hard being a single parent, mm-hmm. period. It's even harder to be a single mm-hmm. parent of kids that like you didn't know the day before, mm-hmm. like, and like you're bringing in an eight-year-old or a thirteen-year-old <laughs> or something, and you know those people need support systems, and that that can very legitimately be the way that you help take care of, you know, kids uh, coming from from trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you put sorry as a single person, and you mentioned singles. Yeah, um, I was thinking about it even on the way over here, Molly at Greenhouse. Um, she started off as a single foster parent, yep. which when I heard that, I was like, whoa. Yeah, so <laughs> One, I didn't know you could do it. <laughs> Two, I was like, that's like a new level of hero. <laughs> but what, for those of us who might be a little bit timid or we're, may not be, I mean, I'm just now getting to the point where I'm like, hey, marriage, let's think about that. <laughs> let, alone, let alone kids. Um, what are some of the practical and tangible ways that singles or you know, uh, families without, uh, adopted kids or who aren't fostering, how can we come alongside? Mm -hmm. I guess I've never really thought about that question. It's always been a, I'm so glad that we're about this at apex and that we have Mm -hmm. people here who do that, but never, I'm so ashamed to say, have I thought, what does it look like to come alongside and love those who do other than the, you know, random conversation here, trying to encourage them. Mm -hmm. Um, something specific to fostering is to become, which I know this is lessening a little bit, the requirements are lessening, but something that was super helpful to us was when we had people in our lives um, who were alternative caregivers, is what they were called, which is basically they get approved to watch your kids. So because it's pretty, it's pretty strict, or at least it was a couple of years ago, as to who was able to watch your kids for you. Mm. So, um, you know, like for Drew and I to go out for a date every once in a while, it was a huge ordeal mm. um, because there were only certain people that could watch our kids. Um, so even something like that, um, and it wasn't like a huge thing, they just had to get a background check and, you know, the, our agency basically needed to know that you were a safe person. And, um, so little things like that are very helpful just in coming alongside a family that's fostering. Oh my goodness. It can feel like there are times where it can feel like you are just in this vacuum of a world, like, (laughs) and feel really, really lonely. So like, even if you don't know, even if you haven't done it, just reaching out and saying like, Hey, how can I be praying for you this week? Mm. Or, hey, can I drop off a big box of goldfish for your kids? I mean, just mm. stuff just like that. I mean, I people would bring stuff over every once in a while like that, and I would just be in tears because <laughs> you don't know what this means. Like, yeah. just that you thought um, just to bring something by. 
you found that this second episode was a blessing for you, make sure to listen to the last part of our conversation with the Clements.